Welcome to Oncofarm. I'm your host, John Bazaar. I am a professor of pharmacy practice here at the supporting sponsor of Oncofarm, Bill Gatton's College of Pharmacy. That's not, he doesn't own it, but East Tennessee State University's Bill Gatton College of Pharmacy. Uh, it is uh, mid-March. The Ides of March are close to it, uh, 2022. And, uh, you know, at this point in the podcast, done most of the foundational drugs and several landmark studies, more to do, uh, but like to like to mix things up every now and then. And a couple of, of studies have been published uh, this year, although not necessarily in, in the last week or so, that I have um, seen shared and, and multiple times on social media and things. I said, I should read that and read it. And um, there were two in particular I'm going to highlight today because they have to do with... Um, you know, trying to predict drug toxicity in patients with cancer. Uh, and uh, there are lots of well-known examples of this. Uh, so, for example, we know that if you're receiving high-dose cytarabine, high-dose ARC or HIDAC, uh, the older you are, the greater the risk of uh, cerebellar dysfunction. And, that, uh, and the same it goes for renal dysfunction. If your kidneys aren't working, you'll have more drug exposure, more toxicity. And I end every episode of the pod by saying doses matter, which is a very superficial way for really saying that the concentration of active drug at its site of action matters, and dosing is is an extrapolation of that. And most of the risk factors we have for drug toxicity have to do exactly with that. They have to do with, uh, with basically patients receiving more bang for their buck from the dose of drug that they're receiving. Um, and uh, there are lots of examples of this in, on- in oncology, and, and sometimes uh, you know new predictors come out, and sometimes they pan out, and sometimes uh, they don't. So a c- couple studies uh, that uh, I've seen uh, you know recently that I thought are worth worth talking about, and these will be in the notes uh, if you'd like to read these for yourself. So the first one I want to talk about was published in January, and this is from Daniel Hertz at uh, University of Michigan College of Pharmacy, uh, as well as Daniel Hayes, who's a fairly well-known oncologist. Uh, up in Michigan, and the title of this article is Muscle Mass Affects Paclitaxel Systemic Exposure and May Inform Personalized Paclitaxel Dosing. Uh, so this uh, this body of research um, goes back a little bit. There's a nice um, you know, randomized controlled trial of pharmacokinetically guided dosing of paclitaxel, uh, and this was published by some researchers from, from Switzerland, uh, where they gave patients you know, kind of the standard 80 milligrams per squared weekly dose of paclitaxel in breast cancer. And they measured a paclitaxel concentration on day two. And they were looking basically to, you know, at that level. And if that level was high, uh, then they reduced their dose of paclitaxel. And if that level was, was fine, then they, uh, you know, if it was like kind of normal, then they kept them on the same dose, right? And this was, you know, this was more than 300 patients. It's a fairly large study. Um, oh, I'm sorry. This was sorry. This was 200 per meter squared of paclitaxel with platinum. This was in, in, in uh, metastatic non-small cell lung cancer. So this is a large study, right? You're you're getting more than 300 patients just to look at uh, should we dose or reduce paclitaxel based on the drug level. Classic therapeutic drug monitoring that we do for for vancomycin and for uh, you know tobramycin things like that. And and so what they found is at the the end of this study. Um, that uh, grade four neutropenia was similar in both arms between those who got standard or those who got PK, pharmacokinetically adjusted doses of paclitaxel. Neuropathy uh, was, severe neuropathy was less in those who got the pharmacokinetically guided dosing. Uh, and those who had their doses adjusted based on levels uh, received about 25% less drug. Probably why they had less neuropathy, they got less drug. Uh, but then the authors do say that 
uh, you know, response rate was similar, 31% versus 27%, numerically worse than those who got less drug, uh, as was PFS and, uh, and overall survival, although uh, the efficacy outcomes were numerically worse for those that got lower doses. In fact, if you were to, if that had been designed as a non-inferiority um, study with a non-inferiority margin of 25%, it would have been not non-inferior for PSF or OS. And this is, of course, the example as we try to minimize the toxicity of, of chemotherapy, uh, we risk minimizing the efficacy of chemotherapy. There's a good example of this with uh, using dextroxane in, in adult patients with metastatic breast cancer who have received uh, more than 300 milligrams per meter squared lifetime dose of doxorubicin. If we give them dextroxane to minimize cardiotoxicity, there's decreased response rate uh, in those who receive dextroxane uh, for metastatic breast cancer. And so this is the this is the crux of the issue is, um, you know, for many chemotherapy drugs, toxicity is a uh, is somewhat of a marker of success, whether it's rash with EGFR inhibitors or, or hypertension with VEGF inhibitors. We know that uh, some toxicity is to be expected and to some extent, sometimes more toxicity means more effect. Now, that is assuming that that extra toxicity is because there is more drug concentration, uh, both at the site of the tumor as well as say in the nerves in the case of, of taxane-induced neuropathy. So it's in kind of this, this mindset that we look at this study uh, that was, um, it was actually a second um, analysis of a PK study. But what was really interesting is they were looking at uh, 39 patients who were receiving weekly paclitaxel and they had CT scans in the last year. And what they able, and they already had their PK, uh, their paclitaxel level, and what they were able to do is use these CT scans um, and all these different slices to calculate a skeletal mass area. The hypothesis being those who had a lower muscle mass would have greater toxicity of paclitaxel. And then they ran a Monte Carlo simulation um, to look at uh, what would happen in theory if we adjusted the, the administration time from one hour to two hours to three hours, what that would do to uh, basically to the paclitaxel uh, level, uh, trying to prevent a high max, a, con a maximum concentration to be lower than, uh, I think they said, yeah, 2,885 nanograms per mil. There'll be a test on that at the end. But, so the idea here is that people with a really lean muscle mass, so think of that little old lady, who has had a lot of muscle wasting because of their metastatic cancer or just as part of the aging process, that there'll be less drug distribution to the muscle and therefore a higher maximum concentration of drug. And typically, a higher peak concentration is associated with toxicity, uh, whether that be nausea and vomiting with chemotherapy, uh, myelosuppression, and perhaps with neuropathy, with taxanes. Um, for those of you who maybe uh, are not familiar with Monte Carlo simulations, as they were explained to me, as a student, so yes, this is hearsay, so don't take this, uh, don't take anything that I say uh, to the bank, uh, but this is how it was explained to me. So Monte Carlo, this is about gambling. So you could imagine a casino wants to figure out, you know, should we, if we're playing blackjack, for example, should we bet uh, or should the house hit on 17 uh, or not? Well, they'll, they'll take, you know, a thousand fake uh, people in a database and add in, you know, kind of a random variety of betting patterns. You know, do people hit on 17, hit on 16, hit on 15? Uh, they'll add other variables like is the deck, you know, you're playing with, um, you know, five decks in this shoe, four decks in the shoe, whatever, and run a couple simulations and see how much money they would make one way or the other, right? 
So that's kind of what a Monte Carlo simulation is in uh, pharmacokinetic terms, as I understand it. Uh, you'll have, say, a thousand patients. I think they did a thousand patients in this study, or 10,000 patients, and each patient will have a random weight within the normal variance of, of weight, uh, you know, random sex, male versus female. So that should be about 50-50, uh, although for breast cancer, probably more like, you know, 95-5 percentage, um, and so on and so forth with weight, renal function, uh, you know, those sort of things, creatinine clearance. And anyway, they were able to, to uh, you know, basically say that for they think that a, a two-hour infusion would be better for folks with, with kind of low muscle mass, and a three-hour infusion would be better for those with a really lean muscle mass at decreasing that peak concentration, which should decrease neuropathy in theory, and but also allow the same amount of total paclitaxel to be administered, which hopefully would then have the same total drug activity. Of course, the word that you heard the most uh, described there was in theory, right? This is done in, in, a, in a computer modeling scenario. Don't know that this would actually, uh, uh, you know, change uh, or decrease um, the, the toxicity of paclitaxel with regards to neuropathy and increase the uh, or maintain the same efficacy. But this is how these things start. This is how, you know, change starts is somebody publishes something that's really interesting. Uh, now, of course, it's not going to be as simple as that. Uh, you know, in a clinic, you'd have to measure a paclitaxel level. You have to have the ability to, you know, these patients are going to have CT scans, but can everyone calculate their skeletal muscle mass from these CT scans? Uh, and then, of course, you have to consider other factors like their, their ability to metabolize paclitaxel. Um, and whether or not they're a, you know, a CYP3, 4, CYP2, C8 poor metabolizer, which is the main metabolic breakdown routes of paclitaxel, do they have mutations to transporters like uh, SLCO1B3, uh, which is kind of how paclitaxel gets into cells or, or P-glycoprotein. Uh, but you could imagine in the future, the way things are going with big data and, and people getting more pharmacogenomic tests, that you can have a better predictor uh, for, for drug dosing. And um, I think that that, I'm all for that. The more uh, streamlined we can get in, 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 maybe not streamlined, the opposite of streamlined, the more specific we can get in dosing patients with toxic drugs, uh, the better uh, for them. So that's an interesting, uh, interesting idea, not ready for prime time, but hey, something maybe to be on the lookout uh, and to read up on in, in the coming years. Uh, the next paper, uh, was something that was shared a lot, and that's because it was published in, uh, in an ASCO paper, and this was published in JCO, Sex Differences in Risk of Severe Adverse Events in Patients Receiving Immunotherapy, Targeted Therapy, or Chemotherapy in Cancer Clinical Trials. So this is uh, kind of a, an analysis of a whole bunch of SWOG studies, the Southwestern Oncology Group, um, which was published out of Washington, uh, I believe, uh, this is where these authors are from, which is not in the southwestern part of the United States. Story for another time. Uh, so they've got 23,000 people overall in these studies, and they're looking at the risk of adverse events, uh, whether they are female or male. And they use risk in the title, but their primary endpoint is an odds ratio, which we'll revisit. So of these 23,000 people, 17,000 17, received traditional cytotoxic chemo, 2,000 received immunotherapy, and 4,000 received target therapy. Overall, you know, you, there is an odds ratio of 1.34 saying that there's a 34% greater odds of having a uh, ad severe adverse event if you're female compared to male. And an, an odds ratio, uh, you know, a ratio of 1.34 sounds pretty, pretty big. However, 
the actual percentages of, of adverse events is 68.6% .6 in females compared to 62.6% .6 in males. If we're using a scoring system in a class, those are both failing grades. Um, they're both Ds, okay? They're both not great. Um, and the greatest odds ratio was 1.49 with immunotherapy. Now, there are only 2,000 folks on these studies receiving immunotherapy, so that confidence interval is the widest there. But that odds ratio is 1.49, uh, which sounds like, uh, oh gosh, there's twice as much uh, you know, severe toxicity if you're female than male. But the, the numbers of severe toxicity are 56.6% in females versus 48.8% in males. And the point that I'm, I'm kind of making here is when you review these large papers and things like that, you know, sometimes you can be a little, uh, a little uh, taken in by the magnitude or the effect size if an odds ratio is used, especially if that event happens in a very high number of patients, right? If most people have that thing, an odds ratio may be a little, um, suggest a greater effect size than a risk ratio. So if you did a risk ratio for the overall toxicity, instead of 1.34, it'd be 1.09, which is less impressive. So it certainly does appear that, that females have greater toxicity from their cancer treatment, uh, but it, it is, um, appears to be a modestly higher risk of that happening. And that could very well have to do with lean muscle mass, perhaps, uh, with paclitaxel or other chemotherapy drugs that are structurally similar with regards to, to paclitaxel with its drug distribution. Uh, the immunotherapy may well have to do with the fact that we're given a lot of fixed dose of immunotherapy uh, these days. And, uh, and women, on average, are a little bit lighter than men, so they're getting uh, a higher dose uh, per body weight or body surface area, perhaps. Um, but more to come on that, potentially. Uh, that was more just kind of a, a drug information, critical literature evaluation, uh, maybe tip. When you see an odds ratio, um, you know, you know. Do so, do some reading first on interpreting odds ratio versus risk ratio before you get uh, really impressed or really, uh, or maybe even the other end of the spectrum, which is ignore those results because they do mean uh, different things. Okay, well that's what I have for this week. Um, uh, next week we'll have a podcast. Week after that, maybe not because the last week of March will be Hopa. So uh, be traveling to Boston. Really looking forward uh, to seeing those of you uh, who may listen to the pod. If you're there, say hi. And uh, we'll have something next week, I'm sure. Uh, and until I talk to you again, remember, doses matter. Mm -hmm.